This episode is brought to you by Canela Bistro and Wine Bar, serving Spanish plates and over 70 wines from Spain in the heart of San Francisco. Visit us socially at Canela SF and canelasf.com. You're listening to Food, Wine, and the Culinary Mind with Matt Schuster. We're getting inside the brilliant and delicious minds of remarkable culinary individuals. We're telling stories, cutting up, and breaking it down. Hi, everybody. I'm here again with my friend, chef, and proprietor of Lanyette Peak Vineyards, Erica Almeida Mooney. Hey, y'all. Good seeing you again, Erica. Nice to see you, Matt. Always. If you want to shout out to Erica, it's at Mooney Erica on Instagram. So Amanda Freitag. Amanda Freitag. She's a cute little thing, isn't she? she? You know what? And she's she's super sweet. She was in the Bay Area and she stopped by the restaurant to do an interview. At just happy as can be. She was lovely. And I feel like she has been around forever or at least like since I've been around. Yeah. Like, I think we were born the same year. Um, she, and she's a Jersey girl. You're not a Jer- Jersey girl, but. No, um, very far from it. But she was she was coming up in New York around the same time mm-hmm. that I was going to Culinary Institute and I was coming up. I believe she worked at Verbena, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was one of, and I know I always say like, you know, one of the first women pioneer uh, mm-hmm. restaurants, but this one really was, I think it was like in mid nineties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the cool thing about Verbena at the time is that it was one of those restaurants that you would always see the chefs in like the farmer's market. In yeah. And we talk Greenwich, about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Greenwich square right uh-huh. there. And it was for, I mean, a culinary student and somebody that was, you know, cooking at the time, like that was the the place to go and yeah, because that's the, that's the you know that's the fun stuff to do as a chef is mm-hmm. to go and and you know to the source and see where your food's coming from and talk to the people who grow it. That's always the fun part. Absolutely, and you know my first job was at an Outback Steakhouse, so <laughs> I remember, I remember. thinking that I was going somewhere that you know like what the hell's a fiddlehead firm? <laughs> <laughs> like, it was pretty. It was pretty great to to go. Is and, that where the Tong song came from? Um, um, no, the Tong song came from a very slow Sunday night at Polo. <laughs> but I, I'd imagine you you mastered tongs at Outback Steakhouse. I most certainly That seems like did. a tong-heavy restaurant. I, it was a tong-heavy restaurant. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. So Amanda is a graduate of the CIA in Hyde Park. As you said, she worked at Verbena, um, where she was the chef de cuisine. And she was there, I think, for about six years, because we talk about that. She's most known right now for Chopped. She's a judge on Chopped. Mm-hmm. And she's been doing that for a while. Yeah, I feel like that show has been around maybe longer than like Top Chef. I mean, mm-hmm. that was like one of the original competition shows. And it's got Ted Allen, who is one of the original Queer Eyes, uh-huh. which is... Is he is he your boo? He is my boo. I kind of love him, and I love the new iteration of the show, but mm. um, the OGs. Mm-hmm. Although, I might be a Carson Kressley kind of a gal. I don't know. Mm, mm, mm. You know, but I dance around. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you're open to all. I'm open to you're, all. You're a safe place for all. Exactly. <laughs> 
So she was also executive chef at the Harrison in Tribeca. She's a cookbook author, The Chef Next Door. That book is pretty cool. Yeah. That book is all about, I guess, especially when you're living in New York or in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. as, as many of us do. Um, it, you have these tiny little apartment kitchens and that whole book was how to maneuver through like your four burner, three cabinet, Mm. um, that's important, uh, apartment kitchen Mm. and still be impressive. Mm. So lots of tips and tricks in there. Now, Erica, do you know what ASMR is? (laughs) (laughs) I do. My... 14-year-old daughter, Daisy, is mildly obsessed. I will say that the sound of of ice clinking in a nice crystal glass has always been one of my favorite sounds. (laughs) Um, And I find it hysterical that my daughter's obsessed with this, yet the sound of me chewing sends her over the edge. Well, maybe you have to record it and play it for her. Maybe I do. Maybe that's the trick. So so Amanda was such a good sport. And and I want to say she brought up ASMR on her own, but it's really been in my mind lately because it's fascinating. And and if you don't know what it is, we talk about it in this episode, but it was one of the most fun interviews that I've had yet from the fact that it was something, a topic that was, I think, just in both of our brains at the same mm-hmm. time. And we just really got to play around with it. And, and it was, it was really a lot of fun. It was hysterical. I find like it's, I think it's some kind of like weird fetish that people have had over the years and then they just gave it a fancy name <laughs> and put it on and Instagram. And legitimized it, sure, yeah. And, and, and you now know, I'll, I'll it's just, okay. I'll just go ahead and say yes. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I know it kind of repulses some people, but I just think it's fascinating. And there's all kinds. I mean, there's all kinds. There's there's like crunchy, there's like brushing hair, there's like there's like tapping, mm-hmm. like tap, yeah. tap, tapping. You know? Water drops. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. Water drops would make me crazy. I'd feel like the sink's broken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I wouldn't like that. Crunching makes me a little bit crazy. Yeah. The, there's like one woman out there that all she does is eat macaroons. <laughs> <laughs> Are macaroons that crunchy though? I feel like they're well, kind of... when eaten right, right up totally. next to a microphone. That's the truth. Honestly, you could like, you could eat uh, like a bowl of pudding in a microphone and mm-hmm. it would sound crunchy. Yeah. It's like, it really, it, it picks up everything. Yeah. But it it was it's on my mind too, because nine hundred two one zero is coming back, and they did uh, intro like with the na 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 na, but with all like different sounds like car like wheels crunching on the road uh, kind of thing. Yeah, you know what it's 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 the the it's future generation. Now. Yeah. It, it is now. So shall we listen to the lovely Amanda Freitag talk about Verbena and other things, and ASMR. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Amanda Freitag. Hi. Thank you for joining. It is my pleasure to be here in San Francisco. And you caught some actually decent weather, so it's a little chilly, but hey. It's perfect. That's us. So diving right in. So I, I asked you a bit before about things that you learned working in restaurant kitchens and you were talking about your time at Verbena. Yes. So, so tell me a little bit about that. I worked at a restaurant called Verbena in 1994 uh, for six years. I had the great privilege of working with Diane Forley, who was a chef owner of the restaurants. And it was in the Union Square, Gramercy Park area in New York City. And at the time, that was when really 
farm to table, which is such an overused term now, um, you know, farmer chef relationships was blossoming, blooming. It was something new. I had never really been involved in that kind of cuisine before. Prior to that, I was working for John George Vongerichten at Vong, which was Thai wow. French. Yeah. You know, so it was polar opposite of what Diane was doing. She had a very Mediterranean sense behind her food and incredibly seasonal. Mm. So she taught me one of the most important things of my career is how to be ingredient driven how to base menu around the seasons. And, you know, I didn't think that it would be so difficult at first, but it was because, you know, we'd make this beautiful spring menu and then we'd have these items that we loved, our customers loved, and then we'd have to change it. Right, right. And, and the opposite, when we were sick of our spring menu, we really wanted to get into summer, but if the tomatoes were terrible and we didn't have the veg yet, we couldn't do anything. So... We, she was so uh, disciplined about not mm. using anything that wasn't ready and wasn't good. But then it became this excitement. You know, here are ramps. You know, here come the strawberries. All the squashes are starting to come out in the fall. And it was just a new appreciation for a way of thinking about food and a pattern and a pulse of the seasons. Were they Jersey tomatoes? <laughs> <laughs> the majority of them were Jersey tomatoes. I've had, we'll not say arguments, but heated mm. discussions with customers about Jersey tomatoes being the best tomatoes. Oh, well, ever. you have some pretty good tomatoes here <laughs> <laughs> in California. You're very diplomatic. That's not quite the conversation we had, uh, but you're, I would have had, rather had the conversation with you. So, and, and you say that you worked all over that kitchen. Um, I did. And, and you learned a lot. So, I so did. tell me about that. I think one of the most impressive things when I first met Diane was that the restaurant was actually under construction, and I mean in rubble. Mm. It was nothing. Her brother's an architect, and he was part of the design and the build. And she took me through, I was thinking to myself, is this woman okay? She took me through what looked like nothing. Mm. Rubble. I'm not kidding. This is the dining room. This is the kitchen. This is going to be the pastry area. This will be our courtyard garden. And her vision was so clear of what she saw there. I couldn't see it, obviously. But again, that was so impressive to me that she had a vision and she made it happen. Mm. Everything she said and walked me through came true. You know, the pastry area was beautiful Mm. with a window out into a garden. And I just kept thinking, she's probably not going to get all these things. (laughs) This isn't going to happen. This beautiful courtyard garden, this you know, prime real estate in New York, you know, and it's this gem of a restaurant. It was all done. It was all beautiful. And she did it. And she did it all. And I started as a line cook. She had two sous chefs hired and pretty soon into the opening, as you know, what happens is there's turnover about six months in, I would say maybe eight months. I became a sous chef. So when I was a line cook, you know, when you're opening a restaurant, mm-hmm. you kind of do everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was a small enough kitchen. It was a small restaurant. Without the courtyard garden, it was 50 seats. With the courtyard garden, it was 100. So we were almost a seasonal restaurant, but we couldn't have a seasonal staff. So It's, it's very lucky. We, we were having the same conversation with some members of our team the other day about how sometimes young cooks or some young chefs, they want to come in, you know, in a very titled position. 
but you you kind of rob yourself of that learning time and that time to you know learn from other people once you have a title in your name people expect you to teach them exactly i agree with that 100 percent. and i think you know nowadays a cook probably would never stay in a restaurant for six years mm. ever it's hard you know but yeah. what i did there was learn every single aspect mm. you know we made two different kinds of bread every day we made all our own pastries and ice creams we made all our own pasta you know every station i knew how to work i knew That's the mise en place for it you know and then when i was a sous chef of course that led into having to order the product and organize mm -hmm. and staff everybody so i knew everybody i knew the product so it was just to me an all-around sort of restaurant teaching experience mm. but with such a beautiful environment I, I, that's the only way i can say it, a very mature environment because after i left rubina i i went to another restaurant and i remember thinking oh wow i thought everybody learned how to deal with each other in mm. a proper manner and it was the beginning of service on the first night and the chef started screaming mm. at everyone mm. and i was like oh my god it's interesting you say that because I had a really great conversation with Joyce Goldstein about she did research for her book and it was a lot of discovery of female-led kitchens mm -hmm. versus male-led kitchens. And she found with her research that the female-led kitchens were more collaborative, were more civil, mm -hmm. and the male kitchens were more, you know, kind of army hierarchy style. Right. Now that I think is changing i think that you know, is changing changing a lot. right not changed but changing it is but. so hard to put a gender with it but i do see the difference because mm -hmm. i just think that the feminine energy in general is a little more nurturing mm -hmm. and creating more of a family mm -hmm. atmosphere inside of the kitchen and even outside the kitchen we had front of the house staff that worked there for nine years mm. you know it, or 10 years or even longer and I just feel like it's that kind of vibe. They were doing something right. Learning. But, mm -hmm. you know, that was also something that got us in trouble a little bit because then we were, when I became sous chef and chef de cuisine, you know, obviously it's two females running this restaurant. Mm. And we would have females apply for jobs that they weren't qualified for. Mm -hmm. So it didn't mean that just because we were female run well, that we would hire that, an un yeah, you're, underqualified female. Right, 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 right. You I, know? I, yeah, I, I just think that it means that in a lot of the details and a lot of the structure, you're open to oh. more solutions than like a, a pan being thr thrown across the kitchen. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, line cooks would come and they, they wouldn't be very good. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you're male or female or green or yellow right. or purple, right. you have to be a good line cook, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know? So that to me was something that was really important to, you know, set up a system that said, okay, guys, Yes, we're female run. And at the time, it was very rare. Mm -hmm. It was like Anne Rosenzweig was uh -huh. the, had the lobster club. And she was, I think, the only other female chef of note at that time. Wow. Yeah. So you said during that time or not, not so far after, you learned an important lesson of how to behave when dining out in a restaurant as a customer. And I thought that was <laughs> what was a great thing to say. 
So talk about that. <laughs> I, you know, uh, it, it, those are probably a little controversial words, but I, I mean, I have a philosophy. I think everybody at some point should work in a restaurant oh, so that 100%. they can know how to behave in a restaurant. And 100%. that that's a broad term. But, you know, one thing that we used to do at Verbena was Diana had a policy where everybody from the dishwashers to the prep cooks to the co-check girl had to sit down and have dinner and that she paid for it obviously because she believed that you know as a line cook you're looking at this one or two that's three that's a really great point of view four or five dishes under yeah. fluorescent lights and you don't know what's going on in the dining room you know same for a waiter so you sit down with golden light at a table mm-hmm. and you eat the food in a different way you feel the service and then everybody gets what the whole package is mm-hmm. and you can't get that until you sit down and have a meal you know, that's that's great that she did that. We, we get so focused on, uh, I've got 20 things to do and only time to do 10. Right. That sometimes we don't think about those full package things mm-hmm. like, hey, everybody should should see how this, this is. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's I impressive. Mean, it, was, it was a true, you know, hospitality-based, you know, mm. thinking process on her end. Mm. But I just, I do really feel strongly about the fact that, you know, restaurant industry is so flooded right now. You know, social media floods with restaurants and food pictures. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in the, this generation don't know what it takes to put that food on the table. I heard so- someone refer the other day to Instagram in a way of food conquistadors. Like you've <laughs> like, you're like you're conquering, <laughs> you're conquering every dish by like kind of like you know it's the it's like oh, the yeah. animal head right that you put on the wall. And I thought that was really really interesting. Now don't get me wrong, I love a nice food picture. Oh, but, I do too. But but I thought it was funny. It, it, it is true sometimes that that you feel like a, a conquistador of, of, of photos. Yeah. I thought that was great. It's just an appreciation for the restaurant workers is what I think needs to be. Shown. Yeah, you know, it's um, it, it's it's true. There are so many folks that are just fantastic and wonderful. Right. And then there's like a couple percentage folks that I think they really just their expectations are, are just somewhere in the clouds. You right. Know? I don't think people understand from the food being dropped off and even before it, right? How we get the food, mm-hmm. how we farm the food, how we bring the food in to how it gets prepared and every staff member to, to the moment it comes in front of you. Like there are so many things involved so many in that process. And, you know, to just look at a price on a menu item. Right. And think that that food magically appears is just naive. Well, and, and, and people are people, you know. Yeah. So sometimes so-and-so is having a bad day because sure. of life, you yeah. know. And they have all the same fears and worries that the person sitting at the table does as yeah. well, right? That's a so lot, a lot of personalities to manage. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. It is for sure. It, it So many lessons, I think, happen in, in the restaurant. And, and I think that I agree. Being able to see that point of view from a young age Mm -hmm. allows us to not only build up restaurant skills, but life skills. It is a life skill. What what was a life skill for you that you learned? Well, I started working in a restaurant when I was 15 years old Mm. in New Jersey. My brother was already working there. I started out as a bus girl. Uh You know, and I mean, one of the number one things that I learned was just about teamwork Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you cannot do this job alone. No. There's no solo job in a restaurant. But I also learned a lot about just 
empathy for people in general. You know, mm-hmm. we had a lot of uh, senior citizens coming in for dinner, and uh-huh. they like were 4:30. wonderful, <laughs> lovely people, which is how I like to eat now, by the way. And you know, just being kind, you know, right. and being kind to the customers and being kind to each other, but just life lessons of you know how to operate in the world, mm-hmm. how to be respectful, how, you know, how to be aware of each other. You know, we, you, in a restaurant, if you're in a small kitchen, if you're in a small dining room, you're, you have to use your peripheral vision sure. and be aware of people all the time. So I, I do think that goes out into the world with you. Yeah. After you learn that lesson. Yeah. Don't be a dick here. Don't be a dick there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just so true. It doesn't work. So, we talked a little bit about ways and then you participate in your community and you mentioned an organization called God's Love We Deliver. So tell yes. me tell me about that. Oh my gosh. I'll try to get through this without tearing up because it makes me so <laughs> emotional and so happy to be able to work with this incredible organization. So the reason why it's called God's Love We Deliver, it's not a lot of religion behind it. It's just well, the woman who started the organization started out taking food on her bicycle in the 80s to people who were sick with HIV and AIDS Mm. and they were homebound and they couldn't cook for themselves. Mm. They couldn't feed themselves. So of course that makes you sicker. Mm -hmm. And this was something that caught on. Obviously other people who had friends who were sick said, you know, she's sending food. Do you need food? And it became this organization. Mm. And obviously now it's for anybody, any kind of disease, any any person that's homebound and ill and cannot cook for themselves, they deliver a nutritious meal to their home. Mm. So this is multi-layered now because now they're tailoring the meals to their, you know, if somebody's diabetic, but they have cancer, they make sure that they're not giving them a very sugary meal, you know, or, or whatever it is that they need. How did you how did you find them? Well, and this is the thing, it's also all volunteers. Mm. And the people who make the food are volunteers, wow. the people who deliver the food are volunteers. Wow. And I found out Still about on bicycles? them. bicycles? No, okay. we now actually use bands. <laughs> Not on bicycles cover, anymore. Cover more ground. Yeah, cover a lot well, more ground. Well, it's New ground. York. I don't know. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's like bike delivery messengers. Right? Feeding millions yeah. of people a right, year. Right, right, so right, right. it's an incredible organization. Mm. So a friend of mine who was sick back in probably the 90s, used their services and got well. Mm. And I met him at a restaurant in, when I started working at the Harrison in 2008. Mm. And he told me about them. And I had heard of them, you know, but I'd never really reached out or thought to work with them. And he said, they're really great. You should check it out. And I was introduced to them. And I, was, I took a tour of the building and saw their video and left in tears because mm. it was just... To me, it's the best thing you can do for somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, you know when you're not feeling well and somebody makes soup for you. Yeah. No, like, it's, it's just that it's, interaction. It's yeah. the soup, yes, but it's right. the interaction of the love of somebody making yeah, you, food you, for you. you. That, that attention helps you heal. Right. And it's well. also the visit because mm-hmm. these people, majority of them are alone. Mm-hmm. So here comes the delivery of the food and a person with a smile mm. and they have a little interaction. You know, one of my favorite things about what they do is for their regular clients, they deliver them a birthday cake. 
Oh, wow. That's awesome. And a lot of times people don't remember their birthdays uh, or they don't know their birthdays. Yeah. And so God's love gives them a birthday cake. Oh, wow. You know, so it's just such a beautiful thing. And they also help families. Like, if, let's say you're a single mom and you're suffering from cancer or disease and you have kids. Uh-huh. They'll actually feed the kids as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. So to me, I mean, it's so near and dear to what I do. Wow. You know, their motto is food is love, food is medicine. And I believe in all of that. A hundred percent. So they have a lot of supporters and, you know, Michael Kors just helped them rebuild the building. The facility is great. So we do a lot of benefits. We do events there. The kitchen is, you know, now big enough to serve more people. It's just a joy for me. I, I, it's hard to describe how it makes me feel. It just, there's nothing that makes me happier. And you know, you know, we've, you work in a business sometimes that's a little bit thankless. (laughs) Yeah. it's. And when I have, I have the ability to, to make a little bit of a change, you mm. know, I'll do it. And you, my brother and I actually competed on Chop together in a sibling uh, episode. And we won, and we won for God's love. And awesome. so $10,000 is a lot of that's, food. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of meals. Yeah. And that was the most exciting thing for me was to win for them. Is he culinary professional he's too? He's not. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will not take away from him that he's an incredible cook. Uh-huh. He's a professor at Ithaca College. Oh, what does he teach? In New York. He teaches history and Middle Eastern and Asian religions. Oh, that's awesome. So, he, so at least he's organized. He's extremely yeah, organized, yeah, yeah, although yeah. he's a bit of a procrastinator. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's gluten-free and dairy-free uh-huh. and okay. my oldest niece is as well he's a lot of food allergies in, in the family and my youngest niece can't have egg so my brother of course wanted only the best for his daughters right. and he learned how to make breads without egg without wow. flour without all the things that they couldn't eat he cooks Did for he them those skills all to the, competition? the time <laughs> you know i think he brought his organizational skills and he's super calm right you know so oh, he just that, stayed that already calm. is like worth his yeah. weight in gold yeah, yeah he was the best sous chef i've competed multiple times and right, never right. won so I won with him. He That's was my awesome. good luck charm. So we That's had great. an incredible experience. You have to do that again. I don't know. Raise more, raise, raise more <laughs> I'll money. I'll raise more money, but yeah. I don't know if I'll do it that way. That was... Yeah. My sister doesn't cook because she said she got burned one time with the oven, and that was her message from above <laughs> oh to never cook. God. So I, I wouldn't well, choose I that sister. It <laughs> would have uh... been out of the industry a long time ago if that was the case. I know. Burns happen, right? <laughs> That's how you learn, yeah. not to uh, touch that hot thing again, of right? Of course. So you you do a lot of stuff. You you pop up in a lot of places, and it's really impressive. You know, Thank I, you. I don't know how you have the time to, to, to do that, but... And ironically, I feel like I'm not doing enough. <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound crazy? Were you born into an overachieving family? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> my brother, you know, graduated uh, magna cum laude, and, you know has his PhD and my other brother is incredibly devoted to, he's a guidance counselor in a, oh, in a high school. That's a hard job. Yeah. Incredibly devoted to the kids. And, you know, I think we're all perfectionists. Mm. You know, I think my parents instilled a really good work ethic in us. And I know my dad was perfectionist is like underestimating <laughs> what he was, mm. you know, he really, I think he in particular was the one that drove us all to work hard and to do it the best, mm. you know, if you're not, if you're going to do it, do it the best. Mm-hmm. Why, why do it half-assed, mm. you know, do it all the way. So he was very much about that. That's a good thing to remember for, for all of us, you know? Yeah. 
It's uh, sometimes you get you look at something and you're thinking, can I shortcut that? And then there's a voice behind that mm-hmm. that says, don't. Right. You know, and that's and it's an important voice. It, it is an important voice, and I think that when I'm talking about young people in the industry wanting to skip a lot of steps and right. get to the top. That's one of the things that I would never trade ever. Mm. All of my experience. Mm-hmm. I was a line cook for, I don't know, at least 10 years, a mm-hmm. sous chef for many years. Mm-hmm. I always worked in the pastry department when I was, you know, a sous chef or a line cook, like as a tournant, so I could learn, mm-hmm. you know, because someday, if you want to have your own restaurant or you want to be a chef, like you said earlier, you're going to have to teach those people right. how to do those jobs. Right. How do you know if they're doing that job correctly if you don't know the job yourself? Well, I think there's also the confidence that comes from having learned it at one point in your career versus, you know, kind of trying to wing it through, right? Of course. I mean, and I think, you know, in particular, if you look at the judges on Chopped, let's mm-hmm. say, we are, we're a lot of New York chefs. Mm-hmm. And we've all been in the industry for over 25 years. Wow. And people always ask me, like, oh, how did you get on there? How did that, how did that end up? And there was no, there was no application to sign up to be a, a chop judge. Mm. It was just 20 years of chef experience, really, because we can all speak to many different types of cuisine, many different techniques, many different ingredients because of that experience. And we're pulling from memories of things we learned in school, learned at that restaurant with that chef, when we took that trip to Israel, when mm-hmm. we went to France, you know, like it comes from experience. It doesn't come from looking at pictures or a cookbook or social media. You right. have to have done it. And learned it and tasted it and know it. And that probably helps you from being empathetic with everybody, right? exactly. So, you know, if you're judging on procedure and technique Mm -hmm. and flavor and, you know, a set, you know, of goals, right? So otherwise it's like, oh, I think they did, they did pretty good. Oh, they, well, they they seem super nice. Well, it also helps take you out of uh, personal preference, right? right? You know, because I might like... Indian food and we have an Indian chef and you know maybe Scott Conant likes Italian food so you know he might like that Italian dish better than the Indian one but you have to look at execution and technique and how it's put together and how they play the game you know so that being said will you play a game with me Ooh, yes, I love games. (laughs) So this game is called three things. It's not a very hard game but it is three things and they can be three things that are real they can be three things that uh, are completely made up it doesn't matter you okay. can you it doesn't have uh, uh, to be based in reality at all okay cool so sci-fi we, yeah it can be absolutely <laughs> one of your face so so one of my three thing questions for you cuz we were just talking about judging is three things that make you lose your composure when you're trying to be serious <laughs> when i'm trying to be serious mhm well, this is this is really good. You mean like lose it being silly and not trying? Any, to... any definition of... Because I'm sure that there are times when the camera's on and you're trying to maintain composure and then you, lo- you lose either by something, you know, for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely sleep deprivation and getting silly. I've uh, That's like, that's really my thing that has made me lose composure. And it's usually from... Either Scott Conan or Aaron Sanchez or Chris or Mark, who's made me laugh. 
And then we have to get serious as soon as the camera's on us. And I, and because of the fact that I have to be serious, I just want to laugh more. I think, you know, if you watch me on television, you see me as very stern. Uh-huh. It's probably because they're cutting out all the times that I'm cracking, cracking up, up and sure. laughing, you know, yeah. and I, you know, we have to be judges, right? Sure. Yeah. We you have, have to, to be maintain serious. your composure. I fully respect all the chefs that come in and how important it is to them. So I don't want but them to see me. But it's also a long me. shooting day too. It I mean, you're is there a long day. You're a long day. Oh yeah. At some point you probably get a little bit punchy. We get you know? super punchy and you know, it could be the silliest thing that mm-hmm. sets us off. And you know, what you don't see is a whole crew of camera operators right. behind us that are also our friends and family that have been with us for 10 years. Right. And those guys can be really funny too. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. they're serious about their job. But Who's the number one person who will make you laugh? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, it used to be Aron Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Aron doesn't work with us as much anymore. But I think Aron, you know, he just, he's like a brother to me. So you know how that sibling can just, sure. they know how to get you. Right. So he would do something silly on purpose right before we would have to be serious nice. on camera. Nice. And so he would always set me off. So speaking of sci-fi, and I don't think we quite did three, but but I'll say we did three. Okay. Three sci-fi food show titles let me let me let me say that again Mm. so three sci-fi either movie or tv show that say you're going to that you would produce or you would you would write the name (laughs) of three different shows that are food related and sci-fi related food and sci-fi and this is just made this up. is completely yeah, yeah yeah i mean unless you're sitting on three no that you. i'm not actually i'm thinking of sci-fi movies that i like okay how about like hmm i'm thinking of something that riffs on guardians of the galaxy because i love okay. that movie so okay. let's see <laughs> so goofy no no grapefruits of the galaxy so what's that what's the premise the premise is it's citrus in space (laughs) (laughs) and and thousands of ways that astronauts and aliens eat citrus (laughs) you know i would imagine you can you get space scurvy is that a thing yeah i would think so i would think so too scurvy like is not only defined to to pirate ships right so, um, okay, so, so another so, uh, one. Citrus see. in space. Citrus in I, space. I like that one actually. <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> Let's see. Starfruit Wars. Okay. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. That actually is a very you good know, one. You know, it's like you can either use starfruit as a weapon, uh-huh. figure out how to actually make it taste like something, uh-huh. because starfruit tastes like nothing. Right, right. <laughs> Find the, the planet in the galaxy that actually likes starfruit. Uh, right, totally. <laughs> that's totally. a good one. That Let's see another one. sci-fi. <laughs> You're doing good at this. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> because I'm a sci-fi geek. Right, I know. Let's see. How about Battlestar Bone Broth? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Battlestar Galactica, but with different ways of, of, you know, bone broth and other planets, and they fight each other to see who's the best. And, like, some of the bone broths, like, give you powers, yes, and some of them like superhero kill you. powers. Yeah, exactly. Like so, speaking of bone broth, so... <laughs> Now, 
What's the difference between bone broth and stock? Oh my gosh. Well, as two you chefs, know? we should probably talk about this. We should have a, a real symposium about this right. right now. Right. I mean, is it is it just a marketing thing? or? Uh... You know, I have to say, one of my favorite bone broths on the planet is uh-huh. Brodo Marco Canora in New York. He okay. makes the most what's delicious... It, what's the secret? You know, you'll have to ask him, okay. but I actually do think he takes his time in building flavors into stocks okay got it you know but for a long time when the bone broth craze started right i was trying bone broths from many different places right and i was finding it in the grocery store in many different forms and sure. jars frozen in you know paper containers i was trying you know for all places around new york and so many of them just tasted like brown chicken stock uh, uh-huh. or like Veal stock. So, it's a, so, so you think that there is a, a real art and science to a good bone broth? I really do. Okay. Only because of a you're restoring taste my, You're difference. restoring my faith in what right. I was thinking was kind of like a marketing thing. I was a little angry at first about the bone broth <laughs> because there are some that don't taste good. Right. And, and that's they, not a bone broth. Right. And they no, did just taste like stock right. and they were, you know, $11 right. for a jar. Right. right. Which kind of makes me angry. Right. And then I would go to that place where I say, let me just make this myself. Yeah. But in my home kitchen, yeah. I don't have a 50-gallon stock sure. pot, and I'm not sure. going to order in a bunch of beef bones and veal bones. So yeah. I have to buy it right. if I want Maybe it. You just want a little bit. You know, and I do believe in it, and I do think it's better than stock, and I think some of the stocks are clarified right. and fortified and to become with bone raft. broth. Yes. Clarified with the raft. I know. It was a little, when was the last time you made a raft? Cooking school. Right. The one and only time that I that, that I that I made a raft. I I, I mean, I, I liked learning how to do it. Right. But at I the same too. time, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm not such a consomme fan myself. I mean, it's not <gasps> like I, I don't like consomme. Why isn't there a consomme craze? You know what? That's true. Because we haven't created it yet <laughs> so but but it can't be consummate it needs like broth was boring until they added the word bone in front of right. it right so now so i think consomme needs it needs mm. a, like a like a catchy word in front like of it like collagen consomme. <laughs> oh you got it right. oh my god that is copyright <laughs> because right everybody now. Wants... amanda tag. <laughs> don't take it don't steal it <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i think that that's a great idea i love consomme yeah so i make my stock in a pressure cooker and i know that that's not necessarily traditional per se but i think it's a a nice way to keep i mean i love pressure cooking i I got turned on to that with with spanish cooking all the mamas cook with pressure cookers and and pressure cookers really fascinate me yeah and i started doing stocks in them and do you have a large large one yeah yeah, That's you have so to get like they're they're not as easy to find, but you can get like a twenty three quart, twenty four quart, which is large enough. We have a yeah. couple of them, and you're uh, mostly doing beef or veal in those. We do, you know what we'll you do, do chicken and any. Yeah, we'll do any. Huh. I mean, we cook all kinds of things in pressure cookers, but uh, at some point, you know, I wanted to see if doing say like a, a chicken stock in a pressure cooker would get more flavor, flavor yeah and i because you it? don't you're not i think it does like you, you're not boiling away all the liquid right you're you know all the liquid is really kind of staying inside of it and you're you, just you, infusing it yeah you're just really you know cooking it under pressure you know oh, i'd like as, to try uh, that you yeah. know i it's 
I love hearing and then you, you say can make that, a little then you can make a little that like all the Spanish moms would use like oh, pressure cookers oh, yeah. and then when I started doing stuff you know on I did an Iron Chef battle uh-huh. I competed twice to become an Iron Chef and in the Iron Chef kitchen Iron uh-huh. Chef Stadium were pressure cookers yeah. and it was the first time that I had ever worked with them and you know when we competed to become Iron Chefs, a couple of my chef friends were like, I'm not going anywhere near those <laughs> things. And then there was another camp that was like, yeah, I want to try it. But it is probably the one thing in competition that has tripped up many chefs. Well, Just trying to I mean, open it once you're done with it. Cold water. Cold water on top. I've had experiences. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fascinating to me that more people don't use it. I know it's getting more popular you know, now in was, the Instapot kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was, I think, um, popular in the 50s and 60s. Like, every time I bring up pressure cooker conversation, a lot of people say, oh, my mom did that. Mm-hmm. But there was one day when it exploded. Like, everybody has, like, the horror nightmare pressure cooker story. But I think it's just like anything else, you know, you can cut yourself with a knife. Sure. You know, you could blow up with a pressure cooker. I yeah. mean, there's all kinds of things that you know, everything can, can cause harm, right? But, but no, I, I love them. I, yeah. I think they're, I mean, you can cook, you cook beans, soaked yep. beans in like seven minutes. Beans is a good one. You know? But I just also love how it went from grandmas and moms into kitchen stadium. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it makes it, it's a, you know, it's a time, it's a time right? helper. Of course. You know, you can, you can braise something, you know, in 20 minutes or, tw- or really maybe 25 minutes that you couldn't, you know, have time to do in a competition. I was just talking to someone who was really angry at us for not having one in the chopped kitchen. We do not have a pressure uh, cooker. I don't know. Maybe it's it's a great to. question. Yeah, oh, why don't we have two ice cream machines yeah. is another good question. <laughs> <laughs> that that one, I, I would assume it's for a little bit of drama. Yes, of in, course. In fighting over one ice cream maker. Of course. Okay, so last three things. So three failed theme restaurants. And again, this can be oh. completely made up or, or, or real. Three restaurants that fail. That had with a, a str- with with a strong theme. With a strong theme. Yeah. Hmm. Ooh, this is a good question. <laughs> this is a good good question. I mean, well, maybe you'll help me think of the name of it. And you used to know the name of it. There's a fast casual that opened here in San Francisco in the financial district that was quinoa bowls. It okay. Was all done with iPad ordering. Okay. Do you know this? I don't remember. Oh. So, but why do you think? Why do you anyway, think so it it's still thriving in oh. in San Francisco. Okay, but when they opened in New York, yeah. for some reason, it didn't work. Didn't work. What do you think? I I don't the know. The New Yorkers didn't trust the robot I, revolution. Exactly. Yeah. And when I went, I was really into thinking about opening a fast casual for a while. Uh-huh. So I came here because you guys were doing it first, and I think it's just your tech community that wanted that sure. kind of food, and and fast casuals here were surviving well, and I saw a lot of them and. You know, and I asked, I asked somebody who I actually found a human at that place. And mm-hmm. I said, I'm just so curious because it was nothing. It was, it was iPads. And then your food actually came out into a little door that you opened. Like the automat? Yes. So, okay. One of my secret ideas was doing like a fun automat cafe. There you go. But anyway, it probably would end up in this conversation later right, as, a, as a failure, as right. a failure. Those, was, those fascinate me. Because but me too. How does the, how where does the food come where from? Where does it come from? How do, it's like a pneumatic tube. It's like, you know, who's that, on the other end? And they would not answer me. I asked if... Were you I, like screaming? Like, who's back there? Well, I asked the person who was, was 
you know, putting out fires on these iPads. With right. the, and I said, is there a chef back there? And he said, it's a mostly automated system. And I said, I know, but is there like one person? Because you modify your sure. order, no avocado, extra right. onions, whatever. Right. And I said, it's just person like making the food and he said it's a mostly automated system huh he kept saying that wow it was kind of freaky so he was a robot for sure he was a robot wow. too oh um, okay other yeah, some, somebody has to cuss at the quinoa yeah i mean there's somebody <laughs> back there right yes there is i okay so other, other failed, failed themed, uh, themed, themed restaurants restaurants oh and they can be completely made they up. They can be completely made one up. That, one that you would think would just fail, like, on day one. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, God, this is really hard, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I always think about these really high-end, quirky Japanese restaurants where you have to catch your own fish and then eat it have you ever seen these places you know that i haven't but i grew up in texas and we had restaurants where you would pick out your own right. meat from a cooler oh. and then you would barbecue it like you know in a in a great central grill so yeah you know there's, I there's get that one theme. or two in new york now that we, you there's there's fish tanks right and they they catch your fish and then you eat it wow. so i actually don't think that's the greatest concept in but the what world if they, but what if they don't what i mean because fish are quick i know, you know? what if so they're like how to... do you know that they got the exact one you have you know? to wait and wait and wait and wait for your dinner right, uh, right. <laughs> you could be that one's extra wily yeah i don't know we've been waiting too long i'm, th I'm thinking about sort of a, a floating restaurant like swimming and eating like, <laughs> like you know how there's like swim up bars there's no swim up restaurants like where you can swim well, you know and eat why? at the same time because you're, you're supposed drowned. to because you're <laughs> and you're supposed to wait 30 minutes well, you know, after you're right. come but on what if you're come just on. already in the pool and you're eating <laughs> while you're in the pool then I, you're fine it's like double jeopardy your body's already acclimated oh uh, so you know that's, what? A, that's that's a good so the, so no where would it be located uh the swimming eating restaurant would be i mean um, maybe maybe the water was too cold so that's yeah. why it failed maybe it's like you know in the atlantic like in winter yeah no that would be bad that, i that think the swimming failure. eating restaurant is like in the Bahamas, okay. or maybe in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> that would maybe be a fail. Yes. All right, I like those. Okay. So I think... That's we... three. I think that's three. So Is it automated? Well, good. You did so good on, on those games. Okay. I have I have one more game oh, for Oh, good. You. I love games. And the fun... Okay, so and the funny thing about this, and this is for 100% true... You brought? Did you bring up ASMR or did I bring up? ASMR? I brought up. You brought, ASMR. How did you bring? How did you bring it up earlier when we were setting oh up? God. I don't know how I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm fascinated by it. Okay, I really so, so want to play me, around. Okay, so des describe for somebody who doesn't know what it is. Tell them what ASMR is. Okay, so ASMR. I couldn't. I think I'll screw it up if I get the acronym exactly. It's Auto Sensory Meridian Response, I believe. And but basically, Ooh, you're good. Thank you. Basically, it is sounds. Mm -hmm. Very specific sounds through a microphone mm -hmm. that are supposed to give you a good feeling, mm -hmm. maybe a relaxed feeling. Mm -hmm. They call it tingles, mm -hmm. maybe like tingles <laughs> on your neck or <laughs> somewhere That's, on your body. And a lot of people listen to these ASMR sounds or watch these videos to relax. So it could be anything from, I mean, in the food world, it's a craze of listening to people crunch right, right, or slurp, right, which right. to me is not my favorite ASMR. Right, right. Sort of in the relaxation world, uh -huh. it's 
you know, fingernails on a microphone right. or somebody talking softly. Cardi B did a ASMR oh, because of the fact that she's a fan of it. She uses ASMR to relax at night. Oh, wow. So then she did one when her fingernails went across the microphone. Uh-huh. She's tapping her fingernails on the, uh-huh. on the table. She's speaking softly. <laughs> and now I feel like it's, it's becoming a food thing, you know, because there's food noises to me that are satisfying. Okay. Not definitely... Not people eating. That's not my favorite. But, you know, listening to the crumble and the crack of a cookie. You know, hearing an egg frying in a pan. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, egg frying is, I like. I do like egg um, frying. Something boiling, pasta boiling in the water. You uh-huh. hear it sort of bubbling up right. to the surface. Right. It's fascinating to me. It was something that I was introduced to, and then I went down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos to see more and more and more. Obviously, again, sound and video always uh-huh. have to go together. Uh-huh. But I think there's something to it. Uh-huh. I think we're going to see more of this because we're so overloaded. I think people need to put yeah, something it's, it's, on it's, their it's, headphones it's that relaxes them. I remember the first time somebody showed me it and I got, I just got, I, fasc- I was fascinated. Did you like it? I mean, some people have a very adverse reaction. I was reaction. fascinated. You know, it was, some of them I liked and some of them I didn't. Yes, you were right. There are, there are food ones. There are ones with like brushing hair. Yes. The, yes. Well, we and did my, <laughs> we did a fun play one with Gregory Allen who does a hair on Chopped. Oh, okay. And he was brushing my hair and uh-huh. I recorded it. And it was a good one, right. actually. I should say I should put it out there. There's one with this woman in a jar of pickles where oh she's God. like tapping on the pickle jar and then she's eating pickles and it's it's <laughs> it's fantastic. I think it's just fascinating. Some people love it and some people have to turn off immediately. Oh sure, uh, absolutely. You know, but when I do all my ASMR videos, I will share them with the world and they will be ASM ASMR AF. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, because my initials are super cool now. So the absolutely serendipitous thing about you bringing it up was that I had it on my list for today. <gasps> so... Do you know who the original ASMR person was and they didn't even know it then? Who? Bob Ross, the painter. Uh, fluffy Clouds? Yes. So... I'm Are gonna, we going to do some? Let's do some. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab something. Uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so... You may, you you may not, you may or you may not enjoy like this. what's in this bag. Oh, well, but, I'm a chop but, judge, but, so you can't <laughs> surprise me with an ingredient. <laughs> Actually, that's just, that is this is like tie-ins all around. So I'm just going to hand you this bag. Okay. And so this is this is your this is your ASMR right here. This is my and debut. Not your first, right? Because right. you did the hairbrush. I did the hairbrush, but I didn't so, put it out there. But, I'm holding so on to is, it. So this is this is putting it, is it out there. This is my debut. And and I will say, there's no wrong way to do this. Okay. Right. I'm meant for this world. You were meant. So. You were meant for this. So okay. here you go. I'm accepting and, your and bag. So, and so since there's since there, exactly since there's no since there's no video, you're gonna have to. You're going to have to describe, you know, what okay. it is. All right. So here we go. We're about to start. <clears throat> right now, I have a bag of kettle chips. <laughs> Fantastic. I've 
open my bag <laughs> of potato chips. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. I love it. I'm grabbing a potato chip. Oh, I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> that is fantastic. It's great. It's, you've mastered it. I'm good at it. You've right? done this really easily. <laughs> Thank you. I'm actually super impressed. This is something I actually really want to do. So when I ask so many people if they know what ASMR is, you know, it's like maybe, I want to say it's like a 25%. Ooh. But I feel like the younger you are, the, the more you Ooh, know what it is. Why, there you, you. Go. <laughs> right. So, and everybody has different reactions. So, so... Let's. See, is there a sound if you like? If you like, oh yeah. If you like crumble. Oh, there's it? so many sounds. So many sounds. This... And don't worry about making a mess. It's okay. okay. <laughs> That's a chip breaking in half. <laughs> <laughs> now we're gonna do something really fun. Let's see if I can. So you're not wearing the headphones. I am. I'm going to pass the headphones to you so you can experience the joy in this. Did okay. you like it? I loved it. Did I'm, it make you feel good? It, it, I'm going to listen I'm going to listen to that to go to sleep tonight. All right. I could here. I could crumble this whole bag for you if you like. No, no, you 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 Oh, I do it. Yeah. I listen. Okay. I thought you wanted to get your hands dirty too. Okay. No, I'm in, I'm enjoying uh, my style. Yeah. Your 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 ASMR stylings. My ASMR stylings with potato chips. <laughs> oh my god, that's it's amazing. Oh, fantastic. Okay, now these are gonna be really, <laughs> really greasy headphones. Wait, here, this is it's all right. ASMR. It's all, it's all in the name of it's all in the name of, of research. <laughs> You have no idea how happy this makes me right now. This is going to make a lot of people happy. <laughs> Honestly, you really could not have done a better job at that. So, okay, well, then... Small pile of potato chips on you your table it, right now. It's a small price to pay for fantastic <laughs> ASMR footage. Thank you. So, so what other things would you ASMR AF? Oh, I mean, anything yeah. that crunches. Anything like a knife going through vegetables have you An seen the people who do soap pan. some yes. people they like they like it's like they they cross cut soap and then they they shave it but there's something really nice for me to hear a knife going through you know let's say a knife going through an onion or a knife going right. through bread through an apple through an apple yeah, or like hickama exactly <laughs> you know the sizzle in a pan to me is the best right because as chefs, like those are, those are also skills that we yeah. learn to teach ourselves to listen to the food. Well, and it's time related too. Right. Like if you start to hear a sizzle and you understand that it's the same item after a certain amount of time, you're like, it's gonna burn. Right. You know, you know? When to so turn it's, it over. it's got right. It's got it's got you know different cues right. to it. Just like let's say you popped open a bottle of bubbly water and poured it into a glass. Right, and you can hear. Well, right? it's like you remember those. Like, was it? Was it, was it? Was it? Was it the Seven Up commercial? Yes, you hear the. Yeah, k- yeah. and then the. K- I see. I mean, you tell me. 
Totally. Does it make you want to drink bubbly water right now? It does. It's probably going to make everybody want to drink bubbly water Um, right now. You know, there's there's a million of them. I think there's a million of them. And I think just for somebody who likes sounds in general, Uh they would love it. But also just somebody likes kitchen sounds. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, like waking up in the morning and smelling bacon, right? Like on a Sunday, but then just hearing the noises of the kitchen, knowing mm-hmm. that my mom or my dad was in there making something, the rattling of the pan, right. you know, the spatula hitting something, the stirring, the, just the noises of that was so comforting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, get Someone's it. taking care of you. Yeah, exactly. So I will take care of you with my ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for this. Thank this you. Was, this was fantastic. And, and honestly... You know, I've been wanting to somebody to participate with the ASMR, oh, and you found you, the right. Oh person. my god, you you like jumped in like ready to go. Thank you for that. My pleasure. Thank you also for uh, saying yes and doing this. Interview. Of course, it was absolutely my pleasure. I came to your town. I know, and, and, and to my restaurant. I literally I, like could not have been easier for me. So thank you so much. Put potato chips all over your table. <laughs> you know, I'm a good guest. <laughs> Thank you, and I hope everybody enjoys it. Check her out, amandafrytag.com, or on social, at Chef Amanda F on Instagram. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Food, Wine, and the Culinary Mind. Find us on all things social, at Culinary Mindcast, and on the web, canelasf.com backslash podcast. Don't forget to rate us where you found us.